Hello and welcome to the Social Club podcast. My name is Craig Dearden Phillips and I'm here this week talking to Dirk Bischoff, who is the chief exec of Hatch Enterprise, whose specialism is getting people from excluded groups into entrepreneurship. It's a fascinating conversation. Enjoy the show. My big passion for entrepreneurship really kind of came from um, like having grown up in East Germany and, and the wall came down in 98, 90 and where I was, where I lived, we had, you know, all big businesses where assets stripped, sold off. We had 40, 50% unemployment. And my dad basically took the brave step of setting up his own metal engineering business when there was no business activity in the area. And my first job was cleaning machinery and sweeping floors. I was like, okay, so here's this guy starting, you know, who started his, his business um he's employing people he's sitting in the boss chair I was like at one point in my life I want to sit in the boss chair but that was you know age 12 um I then became a metal engineer with the intention of taking over my father's business but the three and a half years of metal engineering apprenticeship told me one thing I will never ever ever be a metal engineer or do anything with metal engineering ever again again (laughs) so It was so bad that I essentially ran away from Germany and came to England in 2001. But here I, here I met uh, another entrepreneur. And that was, like for me, that was another. So my, my dad was a big role model for me, how to set up a business. I saw the stress, the gray hair he got through it, etc. But then when I came to London, I met another entrepreneur and his name was Danny. And Danny ran a charity called Quicklywood Homeless Concern, now called Ashford Place. And he... Um, so he like he started the charity. He he was delivering um, support to people either about to be homeless or already homeless, um, with nursing um, support, employment support, housing support. And I was like, oh my god, you can run a business and do something good with it. I'm like, oh my god, I'm sold. I want to do something that does something good as opposed to just make money. And then, like, um, I decided to co-found our first um, social enterprise in 2004 to support other young adults to figure out what they really wanted to do with their life. Because I had this opportunity to come to England, do something, realize my my passion um, and what I really wanted to do. And then we delivered this to probably a thousand plus young adults, 18 to 30. And on that journey of supporting lots of young adults, Many of them didn't really like school or achieved academically, whatever you want to call it, Um, but they wanted to be an entrepreneur. They wanted to start their own business. They had a side hustle. And I was like, I can tell you a little bit of like how I did it. But then as the years went by, more and more people came with the same kind of questions. I'm like, there's got to be a way of teaching groups of people on how to start a business by building something around them that will help them on that journey to start something new. Yes. And that was really the beginning of, of Hutch as an idea in about 2010, 2011. We then did some more research across Europe of where is the best place to start a business. And the, the answer was the UK is the best place to start a business if you're in Europe, come to the UK. 
Uh, like great the there's very fertile grounds here for people to start a business it's very cheap to set up there's very little red tape there's lots of support already but there wasn't a lot of support for people in the local community that i was based in which was brixton in south london so we were like you already have all these you know fintech health tech ed tech prop tech you know gov tech you know something tech businesses that have all these swanky enterprise support programs where you would get investment and support. But I was like, but who is supporting local people with their businesses if they want to kind of start something new? And there wasn't anything, at least not in the area. So we're like, let's take all the methodologies of all these um, tech accelerators, take their methodology, but change it in a way that is much more friendly towards people who might want to start a lifestyle business or a retail business or, you know, God knows what, like we didn't really mind what business they wanted to start, but we wanted to deliver the kind of support that normally only high-tech, high-growth, scale-up businesses had. We're like, let's democratize it for loads of people in our local community. And that's, I think, where we started kind of really organically following the breadcrumbs of what people need and want, and then essentially building something around it. Yeah, and, and, and as, as, as you basically sort of ported the, you know, the, 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 the methodologies and techniques of, of, of incubators and accelerators from, from, the, from, from, from other sectors into, into this um, local environment, did, did you notice that this, the same, these very techniques work just as well? With, with with local people or, or did you have to change things much to make it um to make it relevant to to the groups you're looking to work with yeah so number one like this was already by the time i started hatch this was my fifth um enterprise or business i had others before social enterprise commercial so i had already experimented a lot and like for me for example i hated business plans i was like those are such stupid documents for anybody to write the moment you've written it it's already out of date and who's who, who's ever going to read it and we came across this methodology called um business model canvas or social business yeah. model canvas which is basically a business plan on a one page i'm yes. like anybody can get their head around a one pager versus a 30 50 however long kind of business plan so i was like okay Let's see if we can simplify some of the things that are essential for people to get their head around on what their business is, but let's do it in a way that is um, going to save them time, is not going to waste them time on writing stuff, but gets them to experiment very quickly with their idea and get them to test their idea in the local market with customers online, offline, etc., so we use the, the business model canvas as kind of a key tool to then design our programs around um, and our modules around in terms of like customer um, development. How do you find the right customers? How do you develop your, your value proposition? How do you deliver that value proposition? What are the activities, partnerships, what kind of finance do you have to have around it? But we did it very practically, iteratively over time so that people could could get to building their product or building their service very quickly and testing it very quickly. I think that was something. And because people didn't want to start tech businesses, it was often very practical. You know, people wanted to start chicken shops. They wanted to start hairdressing businesses. They wanted to start photography agencies, etc. It was all pretty practical. But then another concept that I came, that I came around uh, that I came across was that of an MLP. I don't know if you know what, a, um, what an MLP is. 
Yeah, then people, yeah, explain. Have you, come, <laughs> have you come across the word MVP? Uh, the minimum viable product. Yes. Yeah. I hate okay. minimum viable products. What, you know, why would you ever deliver a minimum viable product to anybody? Like, what's the point? It'll just do the thing kind of, but yeah, like, let's see. Com compare this to an MLP, which is a minimum lovable product. So <laughs> you're basically delivering something to a customer that they will fall in love with. They like it. They love it. They'll tell their friends about it. They'll buy it again. So how can you build a product or a service that a niche group of customers will fall in love in and will consume, buy, um, and use in a way that really delivers value to them? So we, we, we then figured out, like, how can we help people to think about building MLPs versus just MVPs? Because ultimately... A lot of people didn't have marketing budgets. They couldn't buy, you know, paid media or Google ads, etc. They had to convince people through their product or through their service, delivering real hard value to them. So we used a couple of tools and techniques like business model canvas, MV, like MLPs, and then building a flexible support structure around these ideas in the form of programs and modules to then deliver what we wanted to deliver to them. Yeah, yeah, and and there's a couple of things to note here. Then, so so uh, yeah, a lot of these businesses were, <clears throat> were 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 non-tech businesses, so they weren't seeking investment necessarily. They were they were growing organically. They were bootstrapped um, with like you know friends and family money maybe, but um, um, and they were trading pretty much from the get-go. Yeah, um, they, they they weren't sort of spending years in development, and they were. Principally, um, you know, the, the, pe the people you're working with are essentially um, men and women from local communities. Specifically, um, you, you're looking at quite a lot of women, quite a lot of people uh, from uh, of color, people, a lot of the people who are traditionally excluded from entrepreneurship in, in, in lots of ways. Did, 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 did being focused on excluded groups throw up specific challenges for you as you develop this? Because, um, you know, I guess confidence levels, trust levels, all being a bit different in different parts of the community. Yeah. Was there, were there any challenges there for you, Dirk? I mean, starting a business already as it is, is hard for anybody. Um, yeah. <laughs> nine out of 10 entrepreneurs who start will fail in their first three years, the so-called valley of death. So starting a business as it is, is already very difficult with the various barriers such as, you know, access to a mentor, access to finance, um, enterprise support, etc. Like all of those things are often already a challenge as they are. But what we saw working with founders um, from underrepresented groups and, you know, for us, underrepresented is a relatively loose and wide kind of term. We now have founders with a disability that we want to help and start their businesses. We have many founders from black and brown communities um, that we have wanted that we that we're helping and wanted to help from the get-go but then also many more women came to our programs because we didn't have a tech focus um, and the women who came to us they wanted to you know run coffee shops build clothing businesses lifestyle businesses coaching businesses etc they weren't necessarily tech entrepreneurs so yeah. in some way shape or form our focus on non-tech businesses was also increasing kind of inclusion in yes. like like our inclusion metrics are, are are much better 
from the get-go, when normally these incubators, accelerators would have like 10% women in their cohorts, we had 60, yes. 70% women in our cohorts and many more coming from our local community, from very diverse groups, basically. But the barriers that they faced, for example, you were saying, um, getting access to, to money from family and friends, no. not happening. <laughs> no, if really. They, if yeah. they were to ask their family and friends for money, um, that would have been you know, a huge deal. But often if, they, if their friends and family saw them start the business, they're like, oh my God, you're now running a business. Can I have some money from you? So it's actually <laughs> been the reverse. So, so access to capital was a, a huge challenge. Access to a really good quality mentor or a coach or somebody to help them on their journey or even the companionship with other people who are also starting a business at the same time was something that we wanted to really consciously build and build around um, our founders so that they had all these um, opportunities. But what, you know, we believed in the people more so than their business idea. We're like, you might come with a business idea to us today, but let's test it. Let's try it. You might change it or pivot your idea. Let's not bother too much about it. We want to give you all the tools in your toolkit so that whether it's this business or a future business, you have what it takes to understand how to structure it, how to get it off the ground, how to build your, 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 your value proposition, how to deliver it, etc. And some people, you know, they will have run their business for like a year, two years, then shut it down and then came back to us a year later with something completely new. And that was then successful. So yes. we, we didn't pay too much. Um, we didn't pay too much attention on that one business idea that they came to us with knowing it'll probably going to change in the course of the program or in the course of the next year or two. Yeah, yeah. And uh, thanks, Duncan. And obviously, what comes through what you're saying is that some people come in with social enterprise type ideas. Some people come in with commercial type ideas. And, and, and you, you know, the, the program um, sees different types of entrepreneurs coming through. Do you notice anything qualitatively different between the social entrepreneurs and the commercial entrepreneurs in terms of anything that, that, that's, that's perceptible? Or, or do you, would, you, would you not, are there, are there no real differences in needs or, or, or approaches from, 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 from them that the people you see? Yeah. Before I get to that, you know, something you asked before was like, did we like, because we, I also realized for us to make this work as an organization, how are we going to monetize this? We can't charge the founders that already don't have any money when they're coming to us because access to money and access to capital is already a problem. We had to build something with another group of, um, with, 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 we, had, we, we saw ourselves as having two customer groups. Here's people who want to see our founders succeed. Now these are corporates, trust and foundations, family foundations, and here are our founders. We had to build a bridge between the people who had the money and wanted to see enterprise support happening and delivering that enterprise support to the people who needed it. So for us, we also had to think about our social value proposition knowing that we could never monetize our founders and say, oh, we'll charge you the 5K that it costs for you to be on the program. We're like, no, we'll charge you 50 quid or 100 quid just so you're a bit more serious about coming and attending and you want your, your value worth. So we're not delivering free programs, but they're so heavily subsidized by our corporate um, partners, by our trust and foundation partners. But that, that was a critical piece for us to figure out we are also a business, even though we are a charity, but like, how are we going to build this thing from the ground up 
where we know we couldn't monetize our ultimate customer group because they didn't have any money. But then when what, what we saw with the people who either wanted to start a social enterprise, for example, we saw that they often um, had firsthand experience of the issue that they are trying to solve. So if somebody came to us and said, oh, I want to I solve you know, um, the youth unemployment in our local area, guess what? They were often afflicted by unemployment as a young adult or young person themselves, and they saw how bad the issue was for them personally. So often we had people with lived experience who were trying to then start these social enterprises or charities, not-for-profits, to then solve the very problem that afflicted them at some point in their life or their friends, or their family, or people that they cared about. So that was, that's always a bit different to the people who are setting up a commercial business. They often find a niche in the market, or they see an existing product, they want to do it better. And that's often you know, the best way. You don't have to reinvent anything, just make an existing thing better, and then do that. So that, yeah. we, we, we didn't really care too much whether people came to us with a for-profit or not-for-profit business, but we knew that the programs for both groups had to be slightly different because with our not-for-profit social enterprise and um, charity um, founders, we wanted to deliver very, very early on the module around how do you measure your impact? How do you report your impact? What's your theory of change? How are you going to build your board? So these were all things that we're doing different to our, like with our social founders, to our non-social founders. Yes. We're a bit more product or service driven. Yes, gotcha. And th- thanks, Doug. And something you just referred to was about the attrition rate in, in small in startups, which is like, yeah, eight, nine out of 10 within a year. Um, does, the, does the program, to an extent, de-risk the enterprise? You know, is a success criteria for you, well, we actually get, you know, five out of 10 sustainable rather than three out of 10 or two or whatever yeah. the, the other numbers are. Has there been a story there that's worth sharing yeah. in terms of, yeah. I mean, um, uh, when was it? So today's, when, no, today, day before yesterday, I met one of my friends who's been helping us with, um, with our design. He did our redesign um, of Hutch. We, we used to be called One Planet Ventures at some point. He then kind of um, helped us um, bring Hutch to life through design online, etc. But we matched him up with a young female founder who was unemployed and wanted to start a design agency that specializes on infographics because she was working with lots of young people. And she's like, young people are so turned off by reading text. They just like mm. can't be bothered skipping it by. So she was, um, she basically built a business around digesting information and making it understandable more easily through infographics. So I chatted with him yesterday randomly. He was like, oh yeah, like Maria, we're still, we're still working together. She's now got um, the WHO. She's got large corporate clients. She's doing really well. And I'm like, oh my God, like I need to check in with Maria. <laughs> because like she was basically coming from, a, from, from an unemployed background she was a foreigner herself, but she had this, this vision of like, I can make information more accessible using infographics. And now she built a whole design agency around that. Yeah, but like in, in general, if I look at our Launchpad Incubator Accelerator, about 50% of people in our Launchpad actually start a business or side hustle. 
of those 50% that then start, if they were to come into our incubator, around 60% are still running their business three years later. Mm, that's good. That's a, a, when, a good figure. When they, get to our, when they get to accelerator stage, which is where they've already been at their business for, let's say, two to five years, they're already turning over, let's say, 50 to 100,000 pounds. Once they leave the accelerator, about 90% will still be around three years later. So this is almost flipping, flipping, um, flipping the statistics on its head. Um, but we, we also know that we're not the only ones helping them. We, um, we see a lot of our founders actually becoming accelerator junkies where yes. they will hop from one program to the next one, to the next one, to the next one, because the enterprise support journey never, never finishes. Like yes. as your business grows and scales, your needs change, your demands change, your problems change, and you want somebody to spar with and to have the right help and support as and when um, you need it, which then means people are always looking out for enterprise support depending on where they're at. Yes. So we just yeah. see ourselves as one of the many organizations helping and supporting founders. Yeah, yeah, you're right. People do sort of like swim through sometimes a series of programs to, to, to get, you know, uh, over, over sometimes five to 10 years as well till their enterprise is, is mature. Leslie's, um, Leslie's, Leslie's got a question I'd like to bring in and I'd like to bring in others as well because I know Mark Solway knows uh, a lot about social business as well, but let's, let's, go, to, let's go to Leslie first. Sorry, Just no, say who you are again, Leslie. Yeah, as well. yeah so um, sorry, it's not a question. It's saying this is, what you're doing is really inspiring, but I've got a meeting that I need to go to in now one minute. So, um, but yeah, but thank you. Really, really interesting, really inspiring the difference that you're making. So apologies, Craig. I may well see you later. Thanks, Leslie. Right, yeah, hope so. See you later. Bye, bye. Um, thanks, Leslie. Um, yeah, um, Mark. We, we, uh, sorry, we we, yeah, my, we we do my, a, quite a lot on this. So just 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 about the word, just yeah. uh, reflecting a bit. So so uh, thank you. I mean, I I actually met you seven years ago, um, and we sat down and had a conversation. So it's it's lovely to see how you've actually moved it on. It's just it's just fantastic. The question I wanted to ask was about entrepreneurs and loneliness. Yeah, in that you started by saying it's a very lonely existence. And I wanted to know two things. Firstly, what do you do to actually build the community so that people actually don't feel so lonely? And secondly, I wanted to just reflect or, or get your thoughts on, on the fact that they move from incubator to incubator to incubator. Do, do you feel that's because actually they're just looking for a peer group to, to like sort of work with and not feel so isolated? Or do you genuinely think that they're looking, they're junkies? They're looking for, for the next fix and looking for something that will just fix their business model and take them to the next level. I was just, I just kind of reflecting on that. Yeah. Good to see you again, Mike. Um, so on loneliness, so, so Hutch delivers two kind of main programs. The first one is our, um, in like our, our cohort-based multi-month-long programs, Launchpad Incubator Accelerator, these are cohort-based programs where we bring between 10 and 15 founders together in a cohort. We then structure these cohorts in a way that we also then build up buddies or we match people up to support them. So all of a sudden, you then have a whole group of people that is your cohort that you can you know, run things past or ask questions, etc. We're also now doing much more peer-to-peer -peer mentoring 
where founders who are maybe a couple of years ahead are now, we're now paying them to essentially mentor a founder who is much more early stage than them. And often they can still feel and understand what the headaches were at the early stages because they've been there, let's say, a year, two or three years ago. So the, the cohort-based support is helping with the loneliness. The peer mentoring and mentoring generally is helping with that. But then to your second question, um, if I just look at myself and, and our journey, like I put myself through an accelerator to start Hutch. So I went and joined the Young Foundation Accelerator in 2013. And I told them, I will copy all your worksheets. I will copy your methodology and I'll do it myself in South London. They're like, yeah, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Just like, you know, uh, we'll support you anyway. But then as we, you know, we didn't wear a cup. No, we started with three people. Then we were five, then 10, then 12. And now we're almost 30 people. And our challenges have evolved over time. So I always needed to find, you know, um, different mentors, different coaches. We tried a couple of enterprise programs ourselves that I sent one of our team members on because your headaches and your challenges evolve over time. So what might have been a good program at the very beginning might no longer be a good program for you two or three years down the line because your challenges have evolved. And that's why people are often jumping from one program to another to another. In addition, some programs, for example, are delivering maybe less practical support, but they're very prestigious. For example, I don't know, like EY Enterprise of the Year program or like something where they connect them to loads of other really famous people, et cetera. You can get a lot of PR and good news stories from this, but maybe not so much on the practical enterprise support. I'm, I mean, I'm just making it up at the moment. So different programs deliver different value propositions to the founders. And often they will have to figure out, do I have a marketing problem? Do I have just like a general business, you know, challenge that I just need, I need help solving marketing, comms, operations, finance, et cetera. I want somebody who delivers all of that. Or is it just that I want to take part in something because of the prestige that comes with it? And I just want the PR from it. So, um, different programs for different times, for different stages, different problems, basically. But if I look at this then from a sectoral perspective, um, we're not making it easy for the founders to then have to jump from one program to next one, to next one, to next one, because they're often already very time poor. And we're making them more time poor trying to find the right program versus collaborating more within the enterprise support ecosystem and saying, hey, um, we should all work more closely together because when somebody leaves with us maybe they want to do something else in the next year that is more relevant to them or somebody finishes with somebody else they might then come to us but there is there isn't that collaboration yet in the sector which for me um, is something that we're now starting to address at least with social enterprises having built a group of enterprise support organizations who are now coming together and talking and figuring out what programs we could be doing together just to solve the challenge of founders having to jump ship ever so often and not knowing where to jump to next to get their next set of challenges solved. That's so exciting, Dirk. Thank you. Because, because then you've got a viral way that people can access help and help grow their business. And that's really exciting. Thank you so much. Yeah, We're only just yeah, at the I, beginning of that. Yeah. Cause with the social enterprise, there's, we've got the school, uh, there's unlimited. And, and I guess, in, in some ways, you know, that I, I can imagine there being quite a nice pathway 
for certain organizations through well if not through all of them but you know but if, if, if it's a if, if, if the pathway is eased for some people it would be yeah. certainly certainly better and uh and and so on as well and and, and at the moment i guess those have those institutions developed largely separately has that been how it's <laughs> But now, yeah. now we're bringing them together. So Unlimited, SSE, and many others, we are now coming together in something called the Collective Leadership Group, ah, which is anybody yes. who does social enterprise support, social sector leadership work, enterprise support, like yeah, yeah, social enterprise support or social sector leadership development. We're now about 40, 40 organizations who are talking together, who are trying to figure out how to solve the enterprise support challenges a bit more collectively versus everybody everybody on their own and everybody against everybody which again also isn't very helpful definitely not no no that's uh that, that, that's good and I, i've got a question about you know because quite a lot of the organizations i deal with in my day to day that they're um they, they, they have kind of you know a stable of uh, you know services or, or products or offerings which, which, are, which are quite long-standing they, they wish to innovate and they've got decent innovative people within their organizations but they, they don't particularly have the um the space or the program within the organization to, to actually hive off innovative work and develop it separately um have you worked with organizations on those kind of things because there's there's um you know i think there's a i've seen crisis for example, setting up a, a, an innovation studio. Um, I know Bernardo's got something in, you know, they're, they're doing. Um, I, I wondered whether there might be scope for Hatch to work with, uh, you know, some of the organisations in the sector that, that that have entrepreneurs kind of within them, but 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 don't really have the means to to, to support and, and nurture them, and whether that's a potential angle for for entrepreneurship support um, for Hatch or not. I just I, It occurred to me as a thought because I have a lot of these conversations with people who want to develop something. You're probably referring um, to in- intrapreneurs. Yes, I think I am. Yes, to, yes. To, to yeah. a degree. And yeah. we've, we've looked at intrapreneurs in larger businesses, but we've also then talked with people who are doing this as their full-time gig with their organizations. And it's very different to develop intrapreneurs because... Um, if you're developing something from within, you need to have a conducive, supportive environment where people can actually run with such ideas and they're given the remit, the budget, the support, the headspace to do these things as opposed to making it part of their, of their day-to-day job or yes. on top of their day-to-day job, which obviously doesn't work because if they're having to deliver you know, their work and then be innovative, that often doesn't work so well if they then don't have the time, space, energy. So I've talked to quite a few organizations who are doing this and the challenges to work with entrepreneurs seemed different and harder and not as aligned to what we wanted to do. So we generally, we, we, we don't, we, 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 we're, not, we're not touching it. It's not our gig. It's not your gig, yeah. Yeah, got it. And, uh, and in terms of the future, when we spoke offline a few weeks ago, um, there was, you know, there's been a lot of growth within Hatch in that, you've, you know, the pandemic taught you that you didn't just have to work in Brixton, you could work in Brisbane as well. Um, what's, what's the direction of travel for you now, now, now that, you know, that the model can be delivered globally? So yeah, like we've, we've been quite cautious around growth 
for a long time where we didn't want to expand too quickly. So we started in Loughborough Junction, then we delivered across Lambeth, then from Lambeth across Southwark, then from Southwark across South London, then from South London across London. And then came the pandemic. And because we were no longer able to run in-person programs in physical spaces with people meeting in these physical spaces, we had to digitize all our program activities, Launchpad Incubator Accelerator, our events, masterclass, etc., within a very short space of time. And thankfully, we had um, partners who wanted us to continue to deliver and then ideally to deliver across the UK. And we're like, well, since we're no longer bound by physical spaces and places, there's nothing stopping us to deliver this program across the UK. And that all happened within the space of two weeks in 2020. We digitized all our programs, launched with Incubator Accelerator. We started figuring out how to run events, what kind of like, yes, Zoom, great, we'll use that. But what other tools can we use to then deliver um, interactive and meaningful workshops, etc. And then we delivered that across the UK, thanks to a grant from Google. So now that we are delivering across the UK, we can see... Um, the needs of founders who are not in London, who are maybe in more rural areas, for them access to connections and support is even more challenging because they'll have to drive somewhere or take the train or, you know, go places. So for them being online and using digital enterprise support is quite useful. At the same time, also, we saw that the barriers to participating in our in-person physical space-based programs was one of cost, you know, People had to travel, spend money, buy a travel card, come to central London, take part in the program. It was also one of time. You know, the cost that it takes them to travel to these places and then travel back is effort. And at the same time, if they had caring responsibilities, like many of our um, female founders, either they had young children or they had other caring responsibilities, we realized then they would have to buy, you know, like childcare support or, or, or ask somebody. So... We realized very quickly that delivering stuff online was really good for inclusion because more people could now take part in these programs that previously would have been prevented because of cost or time or the headache of finding somebody to look after their children or look, looking after whoever they had to look after. So that was a really like that was a real eye opener for us. But now we're working with um, we're working for example with like I think six large outdoor companies. And they approached us and said, hey, we want to diversify the outdoors more so that more people who don't look like you or me are essentially enjoying the outdoors that might be in a wheelchair or they might be from black or brown communities. So they approached us and said, hey, we want you to deliver enterprise support programs to the kinds of founders that are, that are you, you again, underrepresented. They might not have the right access to support, etc." So we're now delivering this across the UK, but the ambition is to, at some point in the next year or the year after, deliver this across Europe with these partners who are already global and international brands like Patagonia, Vivo, um, Adidas, etc. So we're now testing and piloting a very niche sector-specific, industry-specific program, which we've never done before, yeah. with a group of corporate partners who said, we'll give you money for the pilot for the UK, but ideally we want you to deliver across across Europe. So we're now slowly, slowly, slowly 
um, yeah. clone yeah. our way to international delivery, but also <laughs> figuring out, can we deliver more programs by maybe white labeling what we do and working in partnership with others who are maybe in other communities where they are best placed to deliver these programs, but they get our methodology, how we do stuff, a handbook, etc. So we're thinking, how can we grow in scale without necessarily having to grow in scale our organization? Yeah, yeah, again, yeah. It's a headache. It is, it is. And um, yeah, and, and, and I guess you can, you can test, you're, you're, you're testing bit by bit what, what will work, um, what will work in different domains, what will work in different formats, and you're learning bit by bit as, 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 as you go. And, and uh, it, it struck me that when you were talking earlier, though, that, that the particular facets of the model are that, are that, you know, you've got a bunch of people over here who want to see excluded entrepreneurs thrive, and then you've got the than in need group so you've got you've got a you've got a, a really good collection of, of companies trusts and foundations and so on on the one side supplying the, the, the if you like the capital for you to run patch do they also supply any kind of venture capital to 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 to, to, the, to the entrepreneurs or or do they have to go and find that themselves if they're if, yeah. they're, if they're looking for it so because i knew that um access to support and access to capital were one of the main challenges for any founder. And we knew this already from the get-go. So when I look back at our impact report of 2015, 2016, it said in there, Hatch is launching its Hatch Fund in 2017. Stay tuned. It took us five more years to actually do it. So <laughs> this, this year we're launching our fund where... We're delivering the enterprise support on one side, but we're also delivering the capital together alongside the enterprise support because we know that underrepresented founders are often over-mentored and underfunded. Yeah. So we wanted to start delivering really patient, flexible capital in the form of grants or more patient finance like repayable grants or zero interest percent yeah. loans and other, other types of finance over time. But often we are the first people who are trusting them with money that isn't their own that they haven't bootstrapped, that they haven't got from selling their products or services. And we want to use this model to now say, okay, we'll give you half of the money that you need. Go and find money somewhere else to make up all the money that you need, but we'll, we'll give you money first. And then you can go to somebody else knowing that the, the hat is no longer empty. Yes, so yeah. So, so you're the first check yeah, that, they, that they sign, that, that they yeah. receive, but it's conditional on them finding someone else who will uh will match we i mean currently we're, we're basically delivering money in the form of grants to um almost everybody who's going for our programs depending on if they're going through a launch pad they just get a little bit to test the idea if they're already starting and growing they get a bit more if they're scaling they get a bit more and we then introduce them to the right people who then also we think could invest in them could work with them alongside ourselves so, but again, this is still so new for us. This is a whole new world that's now opening up of building in, building relationships with investors, with, with trusts and foundations, with family offices who want to do the support, like who want to give money, but they don't know where or how to or to who. So we're like, we already know these people. We've worked with them for a number of months. We know their business plans, their, their financial needs. We know their, their financial kind of like their, their structures. Why don't you give us the money so to them, that we can give it to them and they can go on their own journey and find more money to then grow and scale their businesses. 
but we're really only just starting this year because it's taken us literally five years to build this model. And we got shot down so many times by investors and trust and foundations who were like, well, you've never done this before. Why should we trust you? We're like, well, we didn't know what we were doing around the enterprise support space five years ago. And guess what? Now we do. Maybe a little bit of trust, a little bit of risk capital on the line for us to just test and try something. And it was a corporate partner who gave us money first. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, the trust and foundations, they, they, they can be a bit squeamish if they think the money might end up in somebody's business. You know, it, it, it's, it's simple things like that, which is unfortunate. What, what's what's one, the one big takeaway you think you'd like um, folks here to, uh, in the club to, to, um, to, to understand, to take away from today? The one thing that comes to my mind is keep experimenting. Like Hutch was an experiment until we made it to our third year. I didn't look at it as an organization, so to speak, until we got to our third year. So we were always experimenting and trying this and trying that and learning from it, etc. And that over time then helped us to develop our methodology around enterprise support. But now we're experimenting with the fund, we're experimenting with this, but now we've got, we brought this whole culture of experimentation inside of ourselves, where we allow people to also experiment um, with their own businesses, what's also working for us, which we know sometimes we will lose them because their own business will grow and scale, but it's, it's fine. So yeah, fine. For us, keep experimenting, keep trying stuff out. That, that's a really, really good message because yeah, I think I think a lot of us are in the, that kind of tr- trial and error mode at the moment with with various things we're doing, and I think that's a very, very sort of you know, powerful and uh, and resonant message certainly, uh, certainly for me, but uh, probably for others as well. So, um, Dirk, thanks so much for your time today. It's been brilliant having you with us. I'm looking forward to visiting you at some point in the not too distant future down in uh, Suffolk. As it uh, as it now is, and um, and 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 continuing the, the, the conversation, really impressed with uh, you've, you've done and, and are continuing to do, and uh, it's brilliant to have you with us. 